wanted to take a moment to say thank you to Tiffany & Co., who is sponsoring this week's episode of More Than One Thing. Their latest collection, Tiffany T1, which stands for strength, power, and connection to oneself, perfectly embodies the characteristics of the multi-hyphenates we love to feature here. And to see all of my Tiffany favorites, visit www.tiffany.com forward slash Athena's dash favorites. Hi, everybody. I wanted to welcome you to the very first episode of season two of More Than One Thing. And it has been such an incredible ride creating these narratives, sharing these stories. There's been an unbelievable amount of positive feedback that really reaffirmed how important these stories are. You look at so many different stories of these creatives and it seems like they have it all figured out and that it was really needed for people to know that it's okay to have a little bit of unknown along their journey and that everyone has a gritty, storied, winding, unknown journey that is filled with questioning themselves. and. Our ambitions most certainly can kind of take us to new places creatively that inspires us, but it can be really daunting at times. So I'm excited to be here again for season two to share more incredible stories from all walks of life, all different creatives, entrepreneurs, actors, singers. I have an incredible lineup for you that I am proud of and inspired by. And these are important stories to tell. So I am going to continue to share my own story once again with my best friend, Tali Magal. She is here with me today. Hi, Tali. Hi, we're back. I think that it is an exciting start to kick off each season to have Tali ask me more questions about my own creative journey and to get a little bit more granular about some of the early years when I was still trying to define who I was as a creative. And I reached out to all of you via social media and I asked you what you wanted to hear. And our conversation today with Tali is really going to be trying to answer some of those questions that you have asked. So Tali's been at my side throughout much, if not all, of my journey in New York City. And I'm excited to kind of dive deeper and answer some of the questions that you all have been asking. Well, I'm really excited to delve into some of these questions. And it sounds like most people are really interested in your before story, in pre-ice wound, the person we all know, the glowing Instagram, the cookbooks, the products, all these things. How did Athena Calderon get to Ice Moon? Okay, so going back, I was, I guess, either 18 or 19 when I first moved to New York City. I grew up in Long Island. And as I shared a lot on last season, the dialogue that I shared in my head, the story that I shared in my head 
that I struggled with very early on was always surrounding education. And I ended up coming to New York after I had tried on a few different colleges for size. I first went upstate with my childhood best friend, Andrea, and quickly realized within that first year that like I just was not an upstate college girl who was in a sorority and was drinking beer. Like that just like wasn't my jam. So much to my mother's demise because she worked really hard to get financial aid in order to get me into school. And I mean, truthfully, the reason that I left was because I had my high school boyfriend haunting me. He I didn't even remember this, but my mom said to me, he would send me these letters and the postmark would say, Lonely Town, USA. He would just like continuously guilt me (laughs) that like I was away at school making new friends and being in new environments that he wasn't a part of and just made me feel so badly about it. I was a chameleon back then in high school and college where I just wanted to become everyone else. Mm -hmm. So my boyfriend was this dancer and he was a creative. And so I, you know, you know, when I left Oneonta, the college that I was at, I ended up going to Adelphi University and studying dance. I knew I wasn't a good enough dancer to like study and be a professional dancer, but I just so wanted to envelop myself in his world that like I had, thank God I figured it out, but like, I don't know, when I was, when I was, you know, 17, 18, I just wanted to be someone else. Well, we need to thank Lonely Town USA because he got you out of upstate. Well, yes, he got me out of upstate and then he broke up with me and it was him breaking up with me that was the catalyst that pushed me to move to New York City. And I just was a bartender. I wanted to be a model. And that's why I moved to New York. And I was paying my rent by bartending. And New York nightlife was really fun at that time. And I mean, I won't say a lot as compared to being an adult, but to be like 19, like it was just, it was so exciting, you know, like I, there was a whole world of like fashion and people and creatives and staying up late night and finally having some cash in my pocket. And then, you know, I met Victor, who is now my husband. And, you know, he was, a lot of people think that like he was this famous DJ when I met him and he wasn't. He was, a restaurant owner, or that's what I knew him as, as a restaurant owner. And the more we became close, the more I learned that his background was in music. And I was figuring out who I was. I was traveling a little bit and went to Paris for a little while. And the sweetest thing was that even though we were just friends, Victor would send me care packages with like books that he knew that I loved. And he would send me mixtapes called Vix Mix One and Vix Mix Two. And I'll never forget when I came home from Paris, a little defeated because my modeling career did not really work out. And he confided in me that he was really unhappy in the restaurant and wanted to get back into music. And it was me who encouraged him to go after his dreams and to follow what he knew was his path. So at what point did Vic's career really start to take off? Because I know you were a huge part of that. And I know you were in many ways a co-creator and by his side. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, 
I wouldn't say that I was a co-creator of his career, but I was certainly at his side along his journey as he's been at my side along my journey. So he sold his shares in his restaurant, and I'll never forget the night that he got the money back from his investment in this restaurant. We were supposed to go to the movies, and he said to me, you know, Athena, I'm sorry to cancel on you, but I've been walking past my recording studio for three years watching it collect dust, and tonight I'm going to go produce a track for the first time in a long time. And he ended up producing this track called Give It Up, which we all know what he was talking about. He was telling me to give it up. But it was just this like crazy moment for him that I was at his side on. Um, It ended up going number one on the Billboard charts for a dance track. And simultaneously, I was starting to feel more than friendship. Everyone from my grandmother to my mom to my best friend saw a side of myself come alive with him. So finally, I embraced that. And our love was fast and furious from that point on. At this point, I was 21. I stopped working at the clubs and I started working at Indochine, which is a restaurant on Lafayette Street in New York City that is very kind of fashion forward and glamorous, but still I was a waitress. And it just so happened that Madonna was working on Ray of Light at that time and looked to the billboard charts to see who had the number one record. And it was Victor. And from there, just everything took off. She had him do her first single, which was Frozen, the dance remix. And I remember being in the recording studio with him and just being a part of that excitement. But from that, so many opportunities were flooding in for him and I was helping him navigate them. So I was thrusted into this world that I knew nothing about, but I was learning on the job. And, you know, I... I've never really like shared about it and I've never really given myself a lot of credit. It wasn't that I was his manager and I was his agent, but it was more that we were just like building a life together. It was like him and I figuring it out together. But I will tell you, his career took off rapidly and I was Victor's wife and I was okay being Victor's wife for a really long time, but we would travel and I remember coming home from these larger than life trips to Italy or Israel or, you know, Morocco or wherever we were, I'm feeling really like deflated when I would get home because I just didn't have anything that I was looking forward to building. I was building for him and I was in it together building it for him, but I still felt like, okay, what what is my role? What am I supposed to do? And one of the first things that we did together that I really felt proud of was, you know, buy a home together and renovate our first home together. Yeah, it's huge. That's sort of how you got your jump. I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about that because we see the homes you live in and they're incredible. But I know that it's something that you did on your own. I know that you and Vic weren't handed any golden ticket and that you made your way and you were very smart about real estate and got in early to Dumbo and live in. Can you 
take us a little bit on that journey? You know, we bought real estate very early on before we were married, and it turned out to be one of the smartest investments that we ever made. And neither one of us, myself nor Victor, come from a family that had financial security. Both of our families very much struggled financially. We grew up, I would say, lower to middle class. And we made a smart investment in our 20s. It was before we got married. So I was 23 when we bought our first apartment in Dumbo. And Dumbo was a very kind of sketchy area. Like it's hard to believe because right now it's, you know, this booming community and it's just so beautiful. But it was when we bought in it. And we would we renovated the first apartment that we had that was a loft. Um, a few years later, we had the opportunity right after 9-11 to buy our neighbor's house that had an exceptional view of Lower Manhattan and the Brooklyn Bridge and Skyline. So that was our first trade. So we we did really well with the sale of our first one, and we just rolled all of that into our second apartment that had the view. And then Victor needed a recording studio, which coincided with Jeevan being born. So then we sold, you know, the view apartment and we took all of our profits there and rolled it right back into another apartment that had a view, but also had a second bedroom. So we weren't like consciously being flippers like that idea didn't even exist in my mind, but I would dive into the design of these spaces. We would do minor renovations. And whenever we sold, we were really building equity because the neighborhood was rapidly increasing in value. So we ended up doing, I would say, I think it was eight or nine apartments in Dumbo. And almost every time we were, if not doubling our money, like almost doubling our money. And that is how we have the homes that we have right now, because we just kept investing and growing. That's incredible. So what advice would you give to somebody looking to invest in real estate? I've seen so many friends never invest in real estate because something isn't exactly what they want. They, you know, want an extra bedroom or they want a bath and it only has a shower. And I've seen so many times people not take the leap of faith and take the risk of buying something because it's not, it doesn't check off every single box of what they want. And then you lose out and just, my advice to you would be get in the real estate game. If you continue to rent and you continue to increase what your needs are as a single person or as a couple or as a family, you just keep growing what that, you know, rental price is that you're paying rather than investing in something that you own. Know that even myself, who has bought and renovated between eight and 10 homes over the past kind of 15 years, that I'm always scared. And that's not to say that I don't trust myself. It's just that real estate and buying homes and writing that check is really scary. It makes you really feel like an adult. It is, you know, putting something out there that is permanent, but it doesn't have to be permanent long term. And I think that's something that people need to realize. But you just, you have to get in the game. You have to know that the fears are going to come up 
and that you're going to think that maybe it was a mistake, but the best place to put your money is in real estate. And I'm also going to add that we we renovated and we dreamt big, especially in our last project, which is the Brooklyn Townhouse. But we have to, in order to live in these homes, both our Amagansett home and our Brooklyn home, we have to rent them. My Amagansett home the past couple of summers, in high summer, I rented the house, not because I wanted to rent the house, but because we needed to. Because in order to pay our mortgage and pay our bills, we have to rent it. And in Brooklyn, we rent our homes quite often for photo shoots. You know, figure out what works for you and your family. Um, Some might say that it's silly that we own these real estate and that our income doesn't, you know, afford for us to pay for them and that we have to rent them. But that's what works for us. And that's what works for our family. And I love my homes so much, but my homes work for me. They work for me in the sense that I shoot in them for my own job. You know, my kitchen is my workshop. It's where I develop recipes. It's where I shoot content for clients. But it also generates income that our family absolutely needs. So that was kind of the beginning of me, A, learning how to trust my intuition and my gut in real estate. It also is what started my love of design. That makes a lot of sense. So going back a bit, I met you through our common friend, Elena Brower, through yoga. And I know that during that time when you were trying to find yourself and struggling a little bit because you were so excited about Vic and this crazy trajectory and how his career was blowing up and you together were traveling the world. And I know that when you would come home, you would struggle with what's my next step. And I know that that started a period of exploration for you where you tried yoga and you tried acting. Yeah. Two very different paths. I know you would even, again, I know that you've struggled in the past with not feeling like anything you've done is enough if you haven't been to school for it. That That's, that's an Athena thing, which is yeah. so silly. I know you had something about yoga. You had planned to potentially... I was burying myself into Victor's world. I was hiding again. I was um, becoming a little bit of that chameleon. No one knew I was hiding, but, but I get internally it. I was hiding. I because I and internally I felt shame and and who am I? What am I? What am I meant to offer this world? What are my talents? I'm just like on for the ride. So what I did was I stopped going to the clubs and I started to take yoga classes. And at this point, I was either 22 or 23. And I'll never forget, most of my friends at the time were club friends, but I didn't have my people and my thing. And whether that was career or whether that was yoga or whether that was creativity or artistry, I was seeking. I was seeking. I was trying things on for size. I started to get into yoga pretty deeply and began practicing like five plus days a week. If anybody didn't listen to season one, like I really have this wound surrounding like not being educated and articulate. And then yoga was like where I like would focus my energy and where I felt like I was like becoming something to be proud of. But I didn't want to go to teacher training for yoga. I took like some 
courses, but I didn't go to the teacher training for yoga because of fear. I was afraid that I would never be able to retain the anatomy. I would never be able to retain some of those Sanskrit words. I was just like, I can't do that. I also, there was so much fear about standing up and leading a class. I was like, there is no way I could ever do that. So even through my yoga, and even though I loved it, it made me feel alive. It gave me a sense of self. I was still hiding. And that's like something I'd say through all of my 20s and maybe into my 30s, I would hide. And then I decided that I wanted to study acting. And maybe that yoga thing and being afraid to stand up in front of a class and lead a class and being afraid to use my voice and find my words, maybe that's what actually brought me to acting. Which, can I just point out, is really interesting. I'm terrified of this. Let me throw myself in the middle of standing in front of people and having to speak. You know, that's how you roll. You're terrified of it. It might stop you in one department, but it's as your path, it's pushed you to the next place. And not everybody does that. Some people just shut it down and will stop at fear. And you have proven that like every single time you get stopped up by fear, you'll just find another channel and you'll move in the same direction. But you're saying it as if that's something positive. I didn't see it that way. I saw it as this little girl who starts something that she never finishes. She starts on one path, a pebble gets in her way, which felt like a boulder. And I just would go, I would hop on over to something else. So there was this, I realize now that that was like me cross-pollinating and me being on this journey of learning so many different things so that I can carve out my own path. But to me, it was just me giving up, me being not good enough, me leaving college twice, even just now my throat cut out. When I feel like that's my biggest wound, when I feel as though I am so unaccomplished that I give up at everything, that I don't follow through. And it became this like joke in my family, like my mom and my childhood best friend, Andrea, like they would joke like, oh yeah, Athena's going to start this, but she's not going to finish it. And it wasn't, they weren't being mean, but like I became a joke and I felt that. And I know now that that was just me really trying to find out who I was, and that was so essential, but it felt really, really debilitating, and really, it it wasn't a, a fun place to be in. So I know you took some really intense acting classes with Susan Batson. My question to you is, how did somebody so debilitated with fear and shyness end up going somewhere where you have to bear your soul so entirely? in front of so many people. I mean, they must have had an inkling that you had something in you there because they wouldn't have accepted you. So tell me a little bit about that whole process. Yeah, it's so funny. I haven't really thought about this in so long. But when I first met with Susan, I'll never forget, like I walked in and at the time, Victor was doing the music for the Dolce Gabbana runway shows in Italy. So I didn't wear designer clothes then at all. But they would every now and again, give me something. And I had these two pair of boots that were at least a size and a half too big. One, I had two pair. One was green neon and one was orange neon. And they were animal print. So they weren't just like subtle. 
Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I was not blending in. She brought up to me like, you know, for somebody that's so quiet, you know, you certainly take risks in how you're dressing. And like, you know, that's very bold, these boots that you're wearing. And then we had to do this exercise. And that first day I did it. And then for the years that I studied, we always did it where you would start the acting class. Everybody would stand in a circle and Susan would put music on and she would call out your name and you have to go in the center of the circle and dance. And dancing and fashion became ways that I expressed myself. I took bold, brazen risks with what I wore. And then when I was in that circle wearing these neon boots, when I was in my body, whether I had to like close my eyes at first to not see all these people staring at me, but when I was like connected to my body and to music and to moving and whether that was my background in dance or whether that was my background in the nightclubs, somehow it was like informing this moment. But I I just, you know, I let loose in that way. And somehow through these classes, I began to see how I can channel this like unapologetic boldness, and then how I can apply that to other areas of my life. It gave me this kind of self-confidence. It also brought me into therapy. It also taught me to dive deeper into my thoughts and my emotions and what happened to me in my life. But acting wasn't for me. And the reason that I knew acting wasn't for me was because I got pregnant. I was 26 years old. And I ended up getting pregnant with Jeevan. And that was right around the time I met you, Tali. And I was so filled with so much excitement and joy and newness. And I really dove into what type of birth I wanted to have and deciding that I wanted to have a natural childbirth. And I poured myself into educating myself about that. So I got really excited about this idea of having a baby and decided that I did not want to go back to acting. I was so present and joyful, and it was something that I I finally felt fulfilled in a, a very significant way. And then being a mother and being at home, I know motherhood can be a deep anchor for so many in life and be responsible for a child and your family. It probably deepened you into the home realm. And I know you then started thinking about kids design. And I, when I met you, I already knew you as somebody who had an incredible sense of design. Your home was stunningly beautiful. And I think that was when you moved to your big place with the terrace in Dumbo. And I remember you did it so beautifully and it was a real showpiece. And I know that you were home with your baby that we all love, but you brought us all together there. And that's when people started to notice your design because people would come over, you would host these dinners, and then people started asking you, well, would you consider designing something for me? Or how did you take that to the next level? Because clearly you're at a level now that's on a public stage. It's so crazy because when I talk about this story, like this was, I'm talking about these very early years of my life and design wasn't really in it back then, but it kind of was constantly weaving its way through. When I think about my first apartment, it was very clean and modern and all from like one store. And then our second apartment, which we bought when we had Jeevan because we needed a second room because I had this background 
now in yoga and because I was traveling a bit more with Victor, all of a sudden it felt a little bit more eclectic. It like I had Buddhas and I had like the warmth of rich patinas from my travel and like blankets that I was collecting. So it's it is interesting to go back and think about my design sense, how each stage of my life informed my design. And all the while I was doing these homes with John. I had a friend from the club who his name is John Rollins and he became my interior design partner. Like we, he really became my mentor, but he would come over to that first apartment and like help us like sort out certain things that we wanted to do to the home, whether it was architectural renovations or moving a wall or, you know, figuring out a furniture plan. And it was him who really began, not in that very first apartment, but maybe on the second or third one, he really began to encourage me to study design and to go back to school eventually. And as our equity in real estate was building, my eye for design was building and my love of home was building. And I know that I talked about this in season one. While I talk a lot about feeling isolated at home, the home was also feeding me in this amazing way. Because I was isolated, I was using it. I was, you know, cooking more and I was designing more and I was trusting my eye more and I was hosting more and I was bringing people into my home more. And I didn't know it, but this was like all festering. All of this home stuff was festering. And by the time we did that third apartment with John, he just said to me, you know, I, I had wanted to do like a live edge walnut shelf. And I like seeked out and found like these people that mill walnut in upstate New York. And, you know, I couldn't afford to buy it at some like fancy store. So I like figured out a back road to get it. And John would say to me like, you know, Athena, you have an eye for design. Like you there's something here that I think that you should explore. This is the third project we've done together. And like, I see something in you, like maybe you should consider going back to school. So Jeevan at this time was three, two and a half or three. And there's this big misconception that I have a degree in design and that I have a degree from Parsons. And I wanna like really put it out there that I do not have a design degree and I, did not go to a full design program at Parsons. I probably, because of my fear of not wanting to go into a full program and then end up backing out because that was my MO, I just signed up for a few classes each semester. And I think it was only two different classes. One of them was a sketching class. And I really wanted to learn how to sketch because I felt like everything that I wanted to get onto the page, I always had to do through John because he was amazing at sketching. So I took the sketching class at Parsons and I had a cocktail party for our friend Chloe Crespi. It was her birthday and it was not my party. It was her party. Just I was the vessel that got to host it. And she invited all these friends many of which were incredibly creatives and in the fashion or photography world. And it was all these cast of characters that I didn't know. And boom, somebody said, I love this space. I love what you did to it. Can I hire you? And I was like, sure. <laughs> I mean, I didn't really know. I could never have done it on my own. But I brought it to John. And John, I said, John, should we do this? Like, he had a full-time job. And I said, 
you know, I don't know if it's going to go anywhere, but I think we should at least take the meeting. So I was in Parsons. I had no formal design training and we actually got our first design client. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like I started like just digging through the Pinterest didn't exist, but like digging through magazines and sourcing things and, you know, putting, you can't even say that it was a deck. We were literally like printing things and pinning them up on pin boards. And we did like a model, uh, you know, we went to the art store and did like a model of the space. And it was something that was so exciting to me. And it was something I'd never done before. And at that point, I was like, if I am going to go into design, I need my education. And I decided to start to intern for Pamela Catch, who I was practicing yoga with. So I asked them if they needed an intern and an unpaid intern. Which might I add, you were at this point, you were a mother of a three or four year old. You were, how old were you? I was maybe 30, 29 or 30. Which I've always been impressed with your moxie of just I know you say that you're shy and you can be debilitated with insecurity around not knowing enough or not feeling like you, you know, had that education at the time. But you've always been willing to pick up the phone and make that call and put yourself out there just the same way as you jumped into that acting class. It all connects. Hindsight's 2020, but you clearly had a path there. But to ask to be an intern at 30 years old as a mother of a three-year-old, I think that's that says a lot because I think a lot of people might have written that written it off and said, no, maybe I missed that moment or that's yeah. not right for me, but you did it. You know, those years when I was home alone with Jeevan, I'm acutely aware of the privilege that it is to be home with my child. And I appreciated those moments and I cherished those moments, but it did not negate that I still felt pretty empty inside for who Athena was. And I still needed to seek and search and find out something that would fulfill me on a creative and artistic level. So it was a constantly, this constant battle of guilt, joy, uncertainty, and also drive to make me figure out what I was meant to be and who I was meant to be. So this was like, I was excited. I was fired up about this. And I knew I needed to learn. I needed like the jargon, the lingo. I didn't know about sourcing fabrics and going up to the D&D building, which it is terrifying. It's But those girls took me under their wing. I had this like little office and they would just like throw shit at me that I knew nothing about. And I just figured it out. I had never in my life written a professional email. I did not know how to write a proper email. I literally had to like copy what somebody else was saying because I, I never had those building blocks of learning in a corporate environment on how to be a professional. But I was so used to giving up at something when something was either hard or I didn't like it or fear came up. I would usually just walk away. And I didn't with design because, likely because of my own projects and my experiences with working with John and conceiving a room. And I didn't know at the time about prolific designers and I didn't know about, you know, the importance of varying textures or, you know, different forms. I didn't even know the word form existed. I would say like a shape. And that's what that internship 
And that's what starting my own business when I knew nothing about it with John, it was my education. It was my self-education. It was me figuring it out on the job. And, you know, I'm not advocating for not going to school. This is just the way I did it. And every project, every time I would sleuth out and dive down the rabbit hole of discovery on first dibs, I was learning. I was educating. And, you know, it just snowballed from there. Your community asked tons of questions about the kinds of tools you use when you design. But I know that you're not using things like AutoCAD. Can you tell us a little bit about your process? What are the tools you use to bring together your awesome spaces? Do I wish I knew AutoCAD? Yes, definitely. Would it be easier for me to execute some design jobs if I knew AutoCAD? 1000%. Or if I knew how to sketch? Yes. But I I don't have those tools in my toolbox. And I have figured out how to still be a designer without those tools, probably by leaning on friends or by asking for help. And I think that that is something that is really important for anyone exploring a new creative realm is don't let your shortcomings allow you to like be stopped in your tracks and that you don't continue to explore something that you have talent at. And still to this day, when I design a space, you know, I I lean on friends to ask their opinion. I trust my instincts, but I also like to bounce off of people. And as I began to grow and dream bigger and kind of explore what was next for me, finding a creative community and finding more friends to lean on became more and more important and empowering. That's beautiful. I mean, I think that's true for anyone. Find your people, find your support group. Yeah. You know, that'll always be a good boister. And I always felt that you were really good at asking for help. When you started Swoon, you were a woman with great style who had a few design projects under your belt, who could cook up a storm in a really beautiful, elegant way. But you were still just a woman at home doing these things and you would pick up the phone and call Michelin star chefs or people who are interesting and inspiring for you. And you had the moxie to call them and say, well, you come cook with me out of really, I mean, you didn't have anything to show them for it just yet. Right. And you've always had that. And that that's been a tool that's led you to today. And can you tell me a little bit about the initial eye swoon, baby eye swoon? How did you have the confidence to just pick up the phone and start putting the stuff out there. You know, I know that I talked a lot in season one about those very beginning thoughts of of Ice Moon, but it was just like me sitting on a sofa after I designed my home and I'm against it and like feeling like I have a lot to say that I want to share with my friends. I just, and that's the thing. Friends, community was my safety net. And I was just putting it out into the world. I, I've always loved to write and I just felt like I can I can share these stories with my friends because that's like the safe zone. That's what I swim was in the very beginning. But I began to meet my creative community that pushed me and encouraged me. And I started to feel pride in myself that I had never felt before. And that confidence made me start to reach out to people. Like I'll never forget scheduling a call with somebody that had a very successful blog at the time. And I just said to them, like, how did you get started? Like, can you tell me like how you think that I can grow my audience? And 
she said, well, you should start doing like collaborations with people. Like you should share something that I did and then I'll share something that you did and we can kind of cross pollinate our community. And, you know, I think that everybody listening out there, they might not want to do a blog like I did, or they might not have design or food in their, you know, wheelhouse like I did. But the core of what I'm saying is that we all need to support and help one another. And if you find somebody that has a similar interest that you have, that's maybe a little bit further along on the road than you, ask for help or ask like, how could we do something together? And just be a little bit bold. Like, I, that, that's what I did. I was just a little bit bold in saying, like, will you have a call with me? Like, I did, you know, and brag a little bit. I didn't do much. I think I had, like, one or two posts on iSoon, and I just, you know, and I just said, like, this is what I think that I can offer you if you can offer me something. And I, I was very fortunate to get a couple of, like, press articles early on when I first started iSoon, probably because it was my homes and my design that people were gravitating towards. So that was my strength. So I led with that. So I guess my advice would be, like, find out what your strength is, no matter what it is, and lead with that and reach out to people. And then that in itself, having that confidence, getting like training that muscle to reach out to people. And I know, as I say, sort of in life in general, work begets work, you know, like momentum. You, It's hard to start pedaling that bike. But once you catch momentum, you're in a flow and you're in a cycle and things do just tend to come. Totally. Having many hyphens and being a creative often comes with a very non-linear path, a path that you cannot always count on. But you have to trust your gut. You have to have intuition. You have to support yourself by the people that are around you. You have to celebrate when opportunities do come your way. And you have to be a little bit okay when opportunities don't come your way. And you have to trust and hopefully have people around you that can tell you you need to trust. <laughs> I think that's really helpful for your listeners to see the side of you, to know that it's not all just the glossy Instagram, perfect, glorious life, that it takes a lot of sweat to get yeah. anywhere, anywhere, wherever your peak of the mountain is. And it's really nice to see and hear somebody who's in it, where it's really happening, you know, what the real struggle was and what the real work has been and what your you know, how it's been for you. And, and thank you for opening up and for sharing. I think it's really helpful for many people to know and understand. Well, I feel like that's a really good note to end on. But we also didn't get to so much like your books, the culinary projects, or I know there are a lot of really exciting collaborations. Well, I would love to get into all of that, but since I've been babbling for far too long, <laughs> I think a better idea would be to save that for season three. So I'm going to leave you all on a little bit of a cliffhanger. I love a cliffhanger. Thank you, my love. It's been a pleasure and a treat. And I always love chatting with you. Tali, my girl, you are my ride or die partner. Been there through every step of the way. Thank you so much for doing this. And to everyone out there listening, I just want to say 
It's okay to be more than one thing. It's okay to not have the answers. I started this podcast because I didn't have the answers and I didn't know that my path was leading anywhere. And I think that part of being a creative and part of embracing an artistic side of yourself comes with a little bit of unknown. It comes with a lot of hiccups. It comes with a lot of uncertainty and roadblocks and just know that it is leading you to you. So be more than one thing and be proud of it. And I know that that sounds so cheesy, but it's really true. And it's something I didn't know. So I want to let you know that it's okay. We have a really exciting season two of More Than One Thing. I've had some amazing conversations so far. And if you want to know more about some of those guests who really get raw and gritty and share their truth and their shame, I mean, people that are larger than life successful that you would never imagine struggle with insecurities, they do. Follow our new Instagram account at more than one thing podcast and definitely sign up for our newsletter on athenacalderon.com and we will share with you who next week's guest is. But thank you so much for supporting me and I hope that I can support you.